Well, as you guys all know, in the past week, there have been some interesting world events that have been happening. Last Friday, uh, in Washington, D.C., there was the March for Life. And the Students for Life, which is an organization, estimated that there was about 150,000 people who attended the March for Life. You can go on Catholic News Agency and see a 46-second time lapse of the crowd walking through. And yeah, I probably don't doubt those estimates. We probably heard as well that there's this potential looming war between Russia and Ukraine. And I don't know too much about it, but from what I've heard and seen, it doesn't seem too serious. It seems more like political posturing, but I don't know. And finally, we know as well, we heard about these truckers going from Canada, uh, in, in Canada, and even from the U.S. as well, coming from B.C. all the way to Ottawa. And, you know, regardless of how we feel about it, it's quite a phenomenal movement. You know, as of yesterday, they raised over $8 million with over 100,000 donors. And they're trying to, the organizers have said that this is a peaceful protest. And there have been no arrests as of yet, yesterday. Additionally, there's some conservative estimates about the length of the, rat, of the, the convoy begin around at 70 kilometers, that's from B.J. Dichter. And the founder, James Bodner, says that in Ontario at that time, he's estimating between 150 to 200 kilometers. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's in a way historical what's happening in our country. But regardless of how we feel about each of these events, I think if we reflect on them deeply, all of them, I think they're inviting us to ask a very fundamental question. Does the other have dignity? Does the other have dignity? Do the unborn have dignity? Do the Ukrainians and the Russians have dignity? Do those who have different views, who are acting according to their conscience, have dignity? And this is an important question, because if it is left unanswered, then it leads to division, because it leads to potential arbitrary classifications of who has dignity. And this division, we've all experienced. I've experienced in this past two years. You've experienced it in your life. And I would say, too, that even our parish community has experienced it. You know, remember before COVID, when I first came here, I was just so encouraged and moved by St. Michael's. Remember when we all used to come down for Coffee Sunday? Remember when we were able to sit beside each other? Remember when I could hear you all singing the Gloria together with one voice, with praise? Remember why you love this place. the sense of community, of joy, of unity. And so my brothers and sisters, this question, does the other have dignity? 
is not an abstract question. It's addressed to each and every one of us here today. And it's addressed to us by Jesus Christ himself in the gospel. You know, in the gospel, when we read it, it seems kind of confusing on the surface. You know, Jesus speaks these words, the people love it, then he talks, start, starts talking about Elijah and Elisha, and all of a sudden, they want to take him out on the hill and throw him out. So what happened? And so Jesus, when he was speaking about the gospel, he said, these words are fulfilled in your hearing today. And the people are amazed because he's saying, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled here. The prophecy that the blind shall see, the lame shall walk, the deaf shall hear, and the oppressed will be set free. But what happens is that the people begin to doubt him. They say, isn't this Joseph's son? In other words, they're saying, isn't he just like another guy, like one of us? How can he fulfill these promises? And so Jesus tells them that not only will you reject me because you don't believe uh, in my power, you only see my humanity, but you will reject me like the people in Elijah and Elisha's time. And so in the time of Elijah, there was this severe famine that Jesus speaks about because of the sinfulness of the people of Israel. And so he was sent not to them, but to just this widow in Sidon. Similarly, Elisha, who followed after Elisha, Elijah, experienced the same thing as well. When the, he was rejected, he did not turn to the lepers in Israel, but turned to Naaman, the Syrian. But why did that not just make the people mad, they, they were enraged. What happened? You see, the people were mad because of two reasons. The first, they were mad because Jesus basically compared them and called them sinful people. He said, you will reject me just like the sinful people of Israel rejected Elijah. But secondly, and this is the main point I want to emphasize, is that Jesus was also saying, not only will you reject me, you will reject the blessing I've come to bring and it will go to the Gentiles. And that's why the widow in Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian are critical because who are these two people? These two people are Gentiles. And so when Jesus is calling them out in this way, he's inviting them to repent. And they're not able to see what he's trying to speak to them. He's not, they're not able, you think about it from a Jewish perspective that you've just been persecuted by the Romans or oppressed, being taxed by them. And now this guy is saying that the blessing of God will not go to the chosen people, but to the Romans? Wow, you can see why they were enraged. But I want to take it even deeper. What is Jesus asking? He's saying, are not the Gentiles worthy of my love and my grace? And Jesus, in a way, is asking the Jewish people, do the Romans who persecute you and are your enemies have dignity too? And instinctively, we would all naturally say, no, our enemies, no. But Jesus is reminding us, does the other, whom we view as other, have dignity? 
You know, remember when I talked about Immaculate Ilabagiza? She was that college student from Rwanda who lived during the Rwandan genocide. How she was living in the bathroom with seven other women the size of this altar for 91 days, hiding from the warring tribes. And during that time, they killed her family. But at the end, she was still able to forgive the people who killed her family. Why? Why was she able to do that? She was able to do that because while she was in that bathroom, the only thing she could do was pray rosaries. She prayed 27 rosaries each day. So she said a lot of Hail Marys, but also a lot of Our Fathers. And when she was praying the Our Father, she wanted to mean what those words, to say what those words meant. And so she was saying, Our Father, she realized to herself, not only is God my father, but he's the father even of these killers. And she's like, I, I can't understand that. And as she was reflecting and praying, she realized, you know, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit spoke to her. She said, you know, when a daughter or a son loses their way and becomes bad, do they become less of a son or daughter to the father? No, never. So she realized that when she said the words, our father, she said, our father of the good and of the bad, of the innocent and of our enemies. And so she recognized then our common humanity because we are all children of the Father. We all have dignity. And this is so critical. In, the way the ch in, in some ways, see, the church has affirmed this teaching, right? She says that human dignity, human rights are universal, inviolable, and inalienable. Universal meaning that this is for all people. Inviolable means that this right is grounded in our human nature, in our human dignity. And inalienable means that no one can legitimately take it away from us. And so the church then has said, there, she specifies the rights in Pacem and Terrace, in Pope John the Twenty-Third. He says that we all have a right to life, the right to live in a united family, the right to develop one's intelligence and freedom, and to work and to establish a freedom, our family. An emphasis is given to the paramount value of the right to religious freedom. All are to be immune from coercion on the part of individuals or of social groups and of any human power in such wise that no one is to be forced to act in a manner contrary to his own beliefs, whether privately or publicly, whether alone or in association with others, within due limits. And so my brothers and sisters, we all have rights, human rights, because we're all children of the Father. The Romans have dignity because they are his children. The unborn have dignity because they are his children. Our enemies have dignity because they are his children. Vaccinated and the unvaccinated, we all have dignity because we are his children.
In the past year, we've kind of been trained to see one another as vectors of transmission. And of course, we need to be prudent with one another. But instead of seeing others primarily in that way, can we re-see one another as brothers and sisters? Can we re-see one another as children of God? And the dignity that comes from that. You know, I know reconciliation isn't easy. It's more complicated than just saying you have dignity. It's complicated, I get it. But can we begin at least there? That all of us have dignity. We can believe the other person is wrong or crazy or whatever. But can we accept that we all are brothers and sisters? Because our world needs that. It's forgotten. This discourse and dialogue in our culture has swayed from even this fundamental principle. And can we see one another through the lens of love? And so I pray today that our world will begin to heal, that we will be inspired by that love with which St. Paul invites each and every one of us to reflect as we move forward. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Amen. Amen.